0: RBA's clumsy politics, budget leaks, worker news, and good news about electric roads. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. I am your co-host Ben Davison, and joining me here in the chilly central highlands of Victoria in and around the great city of Ballarat is the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of Q and on and on, a short and shocking history of internet conspiracy cults, my wife, your friend, and the current cuddler of Germanicus. Van Bartom. How are you, Van? I'm
1: freezing cold, Ben, and you've made me turn off the heater because it interferes with the recording. So everybody, I'm wearing my beautiful solidarity jersey from Victoria Trades Hall. It's so good. And a fleece blanket and the dog.
0: Yes, it is I am
1: wearing the dog.
0: Winter has arrived in Victoria. For those of you in Queensland, I saw somebody post something the other day uh, recently saying that winter has arrived in Queensland. It's only 18 degrees. And I thought, oh, you poor summer child.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, winter is coming,
0: Ben. Winter is here. Winter is indeed here, Van. And look, winter is here. In so many different ways, and one of the-
1: mostly in the "I am freezing to death in our house" way. I am so glad Ben and I are wearing matching outfits. By the way, he also has his solidarity, proud to be union jersey on, and we've both got blue jeans, and you know we're long haired yahoos. And I'm sort of I never thought I'd be in a couple uh, that did the matching outfits thing, and yet here we are.
0: We're just we're like Bruce Springsteen concert goers. Um- <laughs> Anyway, look, the reason why I say winter is coming on more than one front, because of course, this week, the Reserve Bank of Australia has raised interest rates. Once again, the 11th time in 12 months it has raised interest rates.
1: Wow, I'm so glad that they see their job as making life harder for uh, Middle Australia and people who are already doing it very tough. Well done. Ooh, what a democracy.
0: I think, Van, you know, you saw, I think we both saw, that Dan Andrews had something to say about that today.
1: Yeah, Dan Andrews has come out against it saying, I don't think their job is to make life worse for struggling people. Like, just, he is... He gets to it, Dan Andrews, masterclass in the art of direct political communication. Can I just say, and when you've won that many elections, you're sort of unburdened by the need to please. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Well, he he literally said, uh, I think it was, I think it was something along the lines of, uh, I'm not sure uh, eleven interest rate rises in twelve months is smashing inflation, but I know it's smashing uh, families. And look, it's really, really true. One of the things that's come out about this particular decision to raise interest rates is that it comes at a very strange time, Van. Now, money markets, this is where people exchange money for shares, bonds, whatever, financial instruments. Financial Uh, instruments. That's what they they call them. It's a financial instrument. Run! (laughs) But that's what they call them. You know, had priced in, that is to say, they had expected that there would be no increase in interest rates at this particular meeting of the Reserve Bank. That's the impression
1: they had been given by the Reserve Bank. Am I wrong?
0: No, you are 100% correct because, of course, they paused last time and they said they wanted to see what the indicators were about inflation. Tell us what the indicators were, Ben. Well, the indicators were that inflation has actually peaked. Uh, The last two rounds of CPI have shown a decrease in the rate of CPI and, in fact, that the cost of goods is decreasing quite rapidly although the cost of services has increased. The point that Greg Jericho from The Guardian made about that is that the two biggest categories of service increased costs were healthcare uh, and uh, tertiary education or, or higher education. Now, those are two categories that government controls, interestingly. So things like the changes to the Pharmaceutical Benefits Scheme, which we'll talk about when we talk about the budget and what we know about the budget for next week.
1: And which we talked about last Sunday on the weekend wrap, which I made
0: a guest appearance upon. Indeed, you can check that out. Uh, Mechanisms by which the Albanese Labor Government is trying to bring down some of those costs. Now, the point that Jericho and uh, Michael Pascoe made in his article in the New Daily is that these are not issues that were raised in previous uh, minutes or previous public statements by the Reserve Bank. In fact, the Reserve Bank has consistently talked about wages being, you know, if there's a wage breakout. Oh,
1: not a wage breakout, Benny, not a wage breakout. And of
0: course, there hasn't been a wage breakout. We have seen no evidence to suggest. And in fact, we know that wages are in real terms going backwards for the vast majority of people in this country. And we'll talk a little bit about what unions are doing about that. Of course, we know the best way to protect your wages and conditions.
1: I know, I know. Join a union.
0: Join a union. Join a union. Australianunions.org.au slash wow. And then a-
1: you can wear the sweatshirt with
0: credibility. That's right. And you can join online at any time. We'll talk more about that momentarily. But this report, the the, these, the reporting around this rise really has, has tiptoed around the fact that in, in Pascoe's case, actually kind of just wade straight into it, but generally tiptoed around the fact that it comes after Jim Chalmers, Treasurer of Australia, handed down or accepted a review into the Reserve Bank, which suggested some significant changes to the structure of the bank and the way interest rates are set and the composition of the bank, a review that some existing members of the board uh, have been critical of, uh, a review which originally uh, Lowe, the governor of the Reserve Bank, kind of accepted and said, oh, well, we have to take these things as they come forward and, you know, all good ideas are welcome. He has since tried to sort of walk that back a bit. And what people are saying and what I'm saying is that Smells a bit political. Smells a bit political. Does it smell a bit political? It's got a tinge of the political to it.
1: Is there a scent in the air of the political around the decision of the Reserve Bank to raise interest rates without warning after a review that was commissioned by the government, received by the government, just before that government's first budget?
0: Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. A little bit. Because fundamentally all of the indicators suggest that there should have been a freeze. Now, Low talked about in the statement that was released, you know, this issue around services and globally services inflation is continuing. Sure. But in Australia, we're not huge consumers of international services. We don't actually rely on foreign healthcare provision. We don't generally rely on a lot of foreign education provision. We do most of that here. Uh, so there's a bit of kind of mis- misdirection in that idea. Uh, he talked about the need, uh, that, that, House prices were going up again. Uh, Now, they've gone up less than 1% in in each of the major sort of capital cities over the last month or so. That's not a huge breakout, and, of course, they're still not at their record highs. Uh, He talked about wages, but, again, no evidence to suggest that. He's dismissed quite frequently the idea that, uh, profits are driving inflation, despite the, the fact
1: evidence that profits are driving inflation and price gouging. Absolutely, yeah, you know, opportunism, rank opportunism in the wake of the pandemic for for pro- like providers of commodities and services yeah. to exert to be exert beautiful. market power over like a, a captured customer base. I
0: and, mean, and gosh. You know, the, the really interesting thing from my perspective is when he says, "Oh, international services." Uh, are an issue to keep an eye on. Well, he's clearly not keeping an eye on international commentary about the sources of inflation because the Wall Street Journal <laughs> had an article about how profiteering. The Wall Street Journal. Not a notorious socialism advocate. Well, when I call the AFR the boss's pamphlet, I'd probably have to refer to the Wall Street Journal... As the boss's boss's pamphlet. Uh, well, it's, it's sort of the boss's Hollywood, right? <laughs> like it's... Fundamentally, the it, it's the big screen. If the AFR is a pamphlet, the Wall Street Journal is the big screen in every room of your 54-room mansion screaming at you how to be a better capitalist. So for them to say, oh, look, you know, maybe this profiteering thing has kind of reached its limit and is causing this inflation crisis, suggests that maybe Rob Lowe's not a... Uh, Roblo, Philip Lowe. Phil Lowe. Rob Lowe. is a very different guy. Very different guy. Different set of problems altogether. Different set of problems. <laughs> Jesus. So you can tell we're recording this late on the Wednesday. It's been a big day for both of us. But the, Phil Lowe's not actually keeping us across international trends as he might like. Now, of course, the Aussie dollar went up, uh, which is good news for- Australian tourists in New York. Australian tourists in New York. Bad news for Australian manufacturing, which again is a- key uh, thing Labor wants to uh, promote and increase. You know, there's just so many elements of this that do over ordinary people as well. We know this, of course, will have a knock-on effect in mortgages. We know this will have a knock-on effect in rents. These are things that are uh, being driven higher and increasing the cost of living by increasing interest rates. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, uh, increasing interest rates will have almost no impact whatsoever on the cost of healthcare or on the cost of tertiary education, because fundamentally those things are not funded through borrowings. Very few universities borrow in order to put on a uh, performing arts course. That's not something that they tend to do, right? These are funded programs, or uh, they are funded by student fees. So it's a very strange thing. And I have to say that universally, universally, Uh, AMP, Deloitte, everyone was saying inflation was lower than expected. So, you know, and this is, this I think is a really great quote, right? Because the Reserve Bank, when it comes to using interest rates uh, to control inflation, is looking to do a couple of things. It's looking to, when it puts up interest rates, it's looking to reduce demand, which causes unemployment, which further reduces demand, right? Because if you put up interest rates, people have, less money in their pocket because they've got to pay things like mortgages, rents, and so on. So that decreases consumer demand. That then has a knock-on effect of increasing unemployment. That slows the economy. So one of the key things they're looking to do is say, we think the economy is running too hot. We need to slow the economy. Now, by its own measures, the economy was slowing. So before it put up interest rates this time, the economy was slowing. It puts up interest rates, in order to reduce inflation. To do that, you need to reduce prices, right? To to reduce prices, you need to encourage companies to make discounts on the prices that they offer. To do that, you need to reduce demand. That encourages discounting. That reduces prices overall. The problem they have there is that most of the things, these services, are not price sensitive. So gas was the third highest increase in services. If people reduce their use of gas, it doesn't slow the economy. It freezes people. For example, we have gas heating. I've turned off the gas yes, and it's very cold. It is
1: so cold. I genuinely i am so glad that you just keep talking about gas and how it would be warmer if the gas was on.
0: So it's a really strange situation where the RBA, in its, in its April meeting, gave all these indications about what it would look at. Before it made a decision about rates in May, all of those things that it said it would look at indicated there was no need to increase rates, right? It, they all said inflation is starting to ease off. Growth is actually quite sluggish. Growth had slowed. That consumer demand for goods was reducing. That the high level of prices for services was due to stickiness around things that quite simply you know, people had perhaps put off, like you may have put off some medical appointments because of COVID and lockdowns, and we've all heard those commentaries before, right? So there was a high demand for those things, but those things would work their way through the system, or governments would be intervening to reduce prices of things like medicine and so on. None of that seems to have factored into their thinking whatsoever. And there's a good quote here. So the quote the quote goes, so in a month, the RBA became more confident that inflation would get back to 3% by mid-2025, and yet still decided rates needed to go up. To, to top it off, on Tuesday, the RBA revised down its forecast for GDP growth this year from one6 to 1.25%. Mm-hmm. So everything it said, even in its own decision, is contradictory. Now, to top all of that off, this meeting happened in WA. Right? It's the first time they've been in WA since COVID. In WA. In WA. And shout out to all of our WA listeners. We love you. It's sand gropers over there, right? We love that's you in three call? hours' time. Yeah, yeah that's right.
1: I've, I've never called someone from WA a sand groper.
0: Is that not the I temanology? don't know. Oh. Just,
1: they, I've never seen I've spent a lot of time in Western Australia. I've never once seen someone grope sand. I did see that in San Francisco and was scarred for life.
0: It sounds like a weird drug thing. Anyway, so the... The point is they've given this, they've had this meeting, they've made this decision, uh, and then Phil Lowe is the guest speaker at a dinner full of people from the mining industry. Puffs. Essentially. There's a few other people mixed in. I think there was somebody there. Toffs the with shovels. Farmers Federation, so shovels. Toffs with scythes. Uh, yeah, right. And, you know, they've asked
1: questions. Bit of scything, bit of shoveling. And what Phil Lowe says... Oh, sorry, they get working class people to do that. I'm sorry, I was just amusing myself. Yes, continue.
0: But what Phil Lowe says at this dinner that he does not say in the communication about the actual rise is the issue about house prices. So we've only become aware of the house prices issue because of an after-dinner speech that Phil Lowe gave to this room full of...
1: But I thought house prices had only gone up 1%. Oh, yeah.
0: But he's concerned that if the house house prices are not responding in the way that he had anticipated. Which was, how were they supposed to respond? That's not made particularly clear, given it's an after-dinner speech, right? Just so, having
1: a random chat as the governor of the Reserve Bank about house prices, just randomly, off the cuff.
0: And this is this is one of the fundamental problems, is that while people, Australia is, and, and Pascoe makes this point in his new daily piece, Australia is in a per capita recession, right? Right you can say, oh, we've got growth of 1.25%. Yeah, great. But when your population's growing by more than that, then the amount of money that goes to people overall is declining. When wages are not keeping up with the cost of living, then your living standards are declining. You're in a per capita recession. Now, this is a per capita recession that we do not have to have, right? Phil Lowe is determining that he wants more people to be unemployed. Phil Lowe is randomly making up reasons seemingly within hours of the last reason to justify putting up interest rates. Now, people have said, oh, well, you know, America's likely to put them up uh, on Friday, and maybe they will. In their different country with a different tax system and different governmental structure. And somebody said, And somebody has pointed out that the Reserve Bank of Australia gets a little nervous about being too far out of step with other central banks. Now, this, in my mind, goes to the very heart of the problem of monetary policy. It's all made-up nonsense. It's just a bunch of dudes, and they're generally dudes, occasionally a woman, but generally dudes Hmm. who sit around. White dudes? Generally white dudes. White dudes who own property? Lots of property.
1: White dudes who own property who went
0: to private school? Generally went to private school. Right.
1: Representative.
0: So just a reminder that around three quarters of Australians have been to public school or send their children to public school and public education is the very foundation of our egalitarian system.
1: From public schools flows the greatness of the nation. Mark Twain. Yeah,
0: Indeed. Uh, So it's fundamentally this just total nonsense, total nonsense. We pay this man a million dollars a year to sit in a room and make up reasons to basically do what all the other numpties around the world are doing. And they're trying to create unemployment, to drive down inflation, inflation which is fundamentally a they're supply trying, side problem.
1: They're trying to um, create unemployment to drive down wages. Yeah, that's right. Right, and this was a labor government that was elected on a promise of raising wages and stopping the bleed that has been going on since you know we decided to neoliberalise our economy, which saw rising productivity, workers making more stuff, with a declining. The um, wage compensation. Yeah. So they make more stuff than ever, but they get paid proportionately less for doing so. And that's a feature that's not that's not a bug of neoliberalism. That's and labour extraction. And I believe there was a guy called Carl who wrote a really captivating book about this.
0: Absolutely. And look, Phil Lowe, not Rob Lowe's weird older brother. Um, <laughs> Also, what a concept. determined that this time productivity should be considered, so he threw that into the mix. Uh, and the point has been made that productivity on a month-to-month basis bounces around so much that basing an interest, a monthly interest rate move, on a monthly productivity move is is madness. It's basically that is throwing a dart at a board and hoping to hit a balloon and win the big prize. You you just can't bank on. Those month to month movements in productivity because they're so erratic, and he, there are graphs out there, and you can see them. They bounce up and down like a rubber ball. So this this is just, and it's such clumsy politics. Like clearly, so, what, so
1: the too long didn't read version of what we've just gone through, <laughs> right? Right, is that. Chalmers, who's the treasurer, apparently only a third of Australians know Jim Chalmers is the treasurer. He's the treasurer. He's from Queensland. Yeah. He's got a PhD, which is nice. A lot of them do in the new government. So Ch- so Chalmers has instigated a review of the yeah. Reserve Bank, which absolutely should happen. Yeah. Like, you know, these institutions. He, because
0: the Phil Lowe got it so badly wrong, right? He told everybody there would be no interest rate rises for three years, probably. That's the video ended at the end. And of course, most of the sound bites cut off before the probably. And so everybody has gone out and acted on this idea. And now people are suffering. Because they have made decisions, massive decisions,
1: life-changing
0: decisions decisions. about how they... Like
1: buying a house, not a small
0: thing. Buying a house, how they invest their retirement savings. Yeah,
1: do not buy a house if you're in an unstable relationship. I I feel the need to say that to everyone.
0: I feel like we're in an unstable relationship with Phil Lowe.
1: I'm in an unstable relationship with Phil Lowe because I'm in an unstable relationship with deliberate unemployment.
0: And that's really what it boils down to, right? I mean,
1: it might be the fact that I lived in Wollongong in the 1990s and was on the dole for such a long time and understand what systemic mass poverty looks like Mm. and what it's like to live in a city with a 20% youth unemployment rate. I mean, that might be where some of my antipathy towards unemployment comes from, like the ongoing sustained hysteresis and misery of that kind of social exclusion.
0: Yeah, and I, I, you know, think... Wild! Well, clearly, Phil Lowe has never experienced that, right? Quite frankly, it now. I mean, if he has, he's a complete class trader
1: <laughs> and we should probably put him on some kind of cart and well, wheel him away. I think people want to wheel him away. And quite frankly, I think well, people Lowe- who just got mortgages want to wheel him well, away. I think, Those quite people-
0: frankly, Phil Lowe knows he's going to be wheeled away. His term is up before the end of the year. There's obviously this review is going to be implemented. Uh, I think. It's the clumsy politics of it. And the problem now is that we don't know what's going to happen, right? Like, we never know what's going to happen. Because economics is not a science? Yeah, because they just make it up. Not a science! They sit in a locked room. They decide what they're going to do. We don't know how they make that decision. They then tell us. What they want us to know about how they it's made policy that decision. discussion,
1: pretending to be fact.
0: And then they go and have a dinner party where they tell a bunch of other people a whole different set of reasons for why they made that decision. You know, like quite frankly, if they were the board of a real company, they would be in real, real trouble with the regulator. Unfortunately, they're the board of the Reserve Bank and effectively. There is no one regulating.
1: Wow. I wonder why there was a review. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Crazy. Yeah, that's right. Wow. Because if the CEO. It's a bit institutionally loose, isn't it? Because if the CEO of a publicly listed company, gave an address to shareholders about the forecast for the quarter and then went to a dinner with a bunch of people that was a bunch of dudes in suits and then gave an entirely different set of rationales for what was going to happen in the quarter, not only would that CEO be in trouble but that board would be in trouble for letting the CEO do that. Now, the RBA board at the moment, and there are some changes happening, but at the moment is essentially this opaque you know, clique of people who, quite frankly, do not care that Phil Lowe has behaved in this way and have taken no action to sanction him in any way, shape, or form. And Phil Lowe does his kind of like schoolboy smile when he addresses the media and off he trundles while everybody pays three times as much in interest as they paid 12 months ago. And people going, the businesses now saying demand is down, wages are down. Our costs, driven by interest rates, are up. We're going to have to let people go. Now, this is that's what they want to put downward pressure on
1: wages because people do not make wage uh, make wage cases if they're frightened of losing their jobs.
0: Yeah, and fundamentally it's really broken. And I look forward to Phil Lowe losing his job and I hope that that happens sooner rather than later. I just uh, want to point And I can out- say that because I'm in no way, shape or form going to be ever appointed the Reserve Bank of Australia. So Dream big, baby. Dream big. Right.
1: Um, I just want to make the point that this is, you know, the capitalist class- they do have a habit of behaving badly when Labor governments get elected. I just want everybody to sail back from a moment. 1983, when the Hawke government got elected, there was a massive capital flight from this country, literally by corporations kind of just protesting that Labor had been elected and not wanting things like Medicare or public investment or spending Mm -hmm. and things like that. Like, they really want the government in their ideological pocket.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, when we talk about the minimum wage case later on, you'll see that that's exactly it, right? Like there's no basis for fact of fact or reality in their arguments. It's all about how they maximize profit, and they are engaged in the oldest form of debate known to mankind, and that is humankind. humankind,
1: Although and, it is a room full of
0: dudes. It, well it is a room full of dudes. And that is how do you justify greed in a way that is morally acceptable? To the vast mass of people you're about to rip off.
1: Yeah, that is pretty much a dude conversation. That is, that's what I mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
0: right. Like this is what I'm saying. So, but look, you know, the good news is there is a Labour government, right? So despite Phil Lowe and his petty politics and his clumsy politics and his inadvertent or deliberate dinner party faux pas. By the way, he hasn't apologized for that. That's not like it's not like he's come out and gone, oh, actually, well, you know, I should have made that explanation in the in the notes for the no, 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 just anyway. I got to get over for low. He's going to be gone soon and we can all move on with our lives. What's not going to be gone soon is the Labour government because its polling is around 42% primary and is comfortably smashing. Uh, Peter Dutton. And in fact, one of the big things that Labour is often pilloried in the boss's pamphlet, uh, the, you know, salute to you, Michael Stutchbury at the AFR, uh, is around economic management, right? Oh, yeah, and of course, Phil Lowe's clumsy politics is an attempt to say,
1: oh, look, oh, well, Labour's got a cost of living, and- bro, 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 bro,
0: bro. right? And I'm sure most of the people at that dinner party feel that way. But the reality is the majority of Australians don't feel that way because Labor is taking real steps to address some of the systemic inequalities, the systemic barriers to participation, and the systemic causes of cost of living, like, you know, having to pay for TAFE, more free TAFE, less cost of tertiary education.
1: But, Ben, I was told that Labor have done absolutely nothing. Jason
0: Bunch of Numbers on the internet told me so. Well, Jason Bunch of Numbers on the internet is wrong. And let me tell you how wrong Jason Bunch of Numbers is. Jason Bunch of Numbers is wrong to the tune of about $204 billion. And why do I use that number, Van? I can tell you why I use that number. (laughs) Because the budget... The month-to-month budget, yes, believe it or not, the Commonwealth does track its spending month-to-month, just like any other very large organisation, shows that in March the Commonwealth budget ran a very small surplus, around $900 million. Where did that come from? Well, it came from a variety of things, reducing the rots, reducing the wastes. Uh, cutting a bunch of liberal nonsense that wasn't real. So infrastructure programs that, for example, didn't actually have any infrastructure. Bridge
1: to nowhere kind uh, of stuff.
0: That kind of stuff, right? Which, of course, you've seen the Nats scream about, you know, like the 200 projects. They were called media release projects. Beautiful thing, right? You announce a project and keep announcing it until eventually somebody either funds it or you get unelected and nobody cares anymore. Now, that $900 million sounds like a lot of money. It's not in the context of the federal budget. But it also shows that there's a very strong likelihood, very strong likelihood, that even with the announcements that have come out so far about the budget, there might be a $1.6 billion surplus for the financial year. Now, that is A start. It is a remarkable start. It's the, it would be the first budget surplus in 15 years. Now, we're not big on budget surpluses for nope. the sake of budget surplus. Nope. It does, however, also throw more mud in the eye of Phil Lowe because one of the things that reserve banks like to is make sure governments aren't doing when there was an inflation issue is- Overheating the economy. Oh dear God! By spending, can't can't overheat the economy by spending more and having to borrow and driving up costs. You know all that.
1: Get the blanket, put on your sweatshirt, grab the dog. We cannot overheat the economy.
0: Milton Friedman, you know, he's long gone, thankfully, but his ideas, his ideas, just like any kind of cancer, linger on. Oh Ben, please, sorry, but it's true. Uh, So look, the the good news is that that look a lot of that comes from the the booming of our exports right so we've had increases uh of nearly a hundred billion dollars uh in taxes from uh these booming profits so the, the flip side of profiteering is that if you make more profit, we're going to tax you more. Now, we could be taxing even more. And, and Jim has talked about this. Such a fan of taxation. Uh, because quite frankly, those companies are making off like bandits. Now, there's also increased taxes from individuals because unemployment is low. 3.5% unemployment rate means there are more people employed, which means they pay more income tax. Also means the cost of... Uh, Welfare and social safety net programs is less generally because you don't have as many people you've got to pay. So there are savings on both sides of that
1: coin. Yeah, it's almost like you're more likely to increase the rate of welfare if you can get more people into a job and reduce the pool of people who need welfare.
0: That's right. If you get to a point where it's very clear that the systemic barriers to employment are so uh, entrenched and so unable to be overcome, that welfare payments, that's a, that unemployment uh, assistance becomes welfare payments, right? So instead of trying to move people from unemployment into employment quickly, which is actually the aim of almost every Western government when it comes to things like Job Seeker and other forms of unemployment payment, then you're actually starting to go, well, there are such entrenched systemic barriers here that there is a cohort of people that require welfare payment. They require a payment to maintain their welfare, not just to transition from one job to to another.
1: Which is what we want. We don't want to pretend the people who can't work must work. Correct. That is bad. Yeah, absolutely. But similarly, we want to facilitate the opportunity of people who do want to work to work.
0: Yeah, and I want to make this point, right? Like there's a whole bunch of things that have come out about the budget, not just in terms of this, these sort of big headline um, grabbing surpluses and so on, but some, I guess, drops, right, some leaks, some policy. Hints. Uh, hints.
1: Hints and clues. Hints
0: and tips, right? So I'm going to go through a few because uh, some of them are about our welfare system, our social safety net, the tax and transfer system, whatever you want to call it, right, the thing that a lot of people rely on in order to be able to pay their bills. Now. I know what I'm going to say next is going to have some people be angry, right? Because we've seen this anger over the last few weeks about not doing enough or different groups of people getting different things or whatever. And I'm not going to get into that. What I want to say very clearly is what we think the policy is going to be. People make their own judgments about it. You and I have talked about our judgments about what unemployment benefits uh, a four how they need job seek does need a reasonable increase we've talked about I'm on the acos letter you're on the acos letter we've talked about the need for targeted policy to remove those systemic barriers right and some of what's being announced goes to that point because one of the things that's been announced is that single parents will receive uh, additional payments until their youngest turns 14 which is a rise from the age of eight. Which is a rise in the age of eight. Now, some people want that to go to 16. That's still a public policy debate. These And that's still a thing that could happen. Absolutely. So, these are again, these are policies that we know are likely to come up in the budget. We also know there's likely to be people who want them to go further. And that's not just going to be in this section of the budget. I'm sure it's going to be. In every section of the budget,
1: it's almost like there are competing interests.
0: There absolutely are, because the long term unemployed aged over 55 will get uh, an additional increase to their job seeker payment. Now, I've talked about this at length over the last few weeks that we know people over the age of 55 who have been unemployed for two years or more are incredibly unlikely to ever be reemployed. Now, that is not a failing of the individual. That is a systemic set of barriers that are put in place both in terms of biases against older workers and also the rapid change and innovation that occurs in workplaces in terms of technology, in terms of culture, in terms of the skill sets people need.
1: And also to do with physical accessibility of the workplace. Absolutely. Like those are like Disability advocates talk a lot about the social model of disability. Really, disability doesn't exist. What exists is a society that is designed in such a way as to preclude the participation of people based on their physical reality. Yeah. You know, like everything from the height of a step or the lack of a ramp, all of these things can impact the way that people can or can't access a workforce. And if if you are in that older bracket and you are facing physical challenges to the kind of work you can do, say you've been transitioned out of manual labour, yeah. like are the opportunities there for you to retrain, for you to redeploy your skills elsewhere? Like these are the big issues about Participation in the workplace that we have to address. And they're big issues that take a long time to sort out.
0: Particularly, we've had a decade of not just stagnation, but deliberate undermining of the f- features uh, of systemic change, right? So obviously, Labor is committed to the creation and has created Jobs and Skills Australia to look at some of those things.
1: Those participation issues very quickly. And I promise this will be quick. I'm an opponent of the universal basic in- income concept because I believe it is, you know, absolutely mm. exclusionary. And one of the reasons why it's exclusionary is it is ableist. It does, it, it, it structuralizes keeping people out of workplaces and out of the agency of having a job by just saying, oh, don't worry, we'll pay you all off, rather than looking at addressing the physical material access boundaries that exist to keep people out of
0: work. Yeah, it creates, a, it creates an opportunity for bad faith employers to make a discriminatory decision uh, with a kind of financial safety net to justify it, right? Like that's basically what it does. Uh, So, look, you know, you've raised the issue of disability, the NDIS, the National Disability Insurance Scheme, um, the growth rate for that will be uh, have a target of 8% by July 2026. Anthony Albanese announced that. Uh, The budget for the agency itself uh, will get an extra $720 million to fund staff increases uh, and reforms, to get the cowboys and the sham contractors and the and the dodginess and the organised criminals out of the NDIS because we know that that under the, the the Abbott Turnbull Morrison government you know the NDIS the was, Empire was a was a it was a ministry given to underperforming ministers to go and sit there and do nothing and that the NDIS itself um, became this thing that. Quite frankly, you know, good, honest Australians who rely on it have to wade through such a bureaucratic nightmare, yet at the same time there is organised crime. There are dodgy providers. There are sham contractors. There are foreign equity investors who are looking to clip the ticket. Like there's a whole range of bad faith actors in the space, not the majority, not by any means. The the clients, but and enough
1: to waste money. That's right, and deny service and compromise quality, and that is why they have to go.
0: One of the other things, of course, is rent assistance looks like it will also go up uh, for a large number of people, which will be great. There will be uh, three billion dollars in power price relief for households. Uh, Uh, You can tell I got some of this information from the boss's pamphlet because there's a whole thing in here about small businesses uh, investing in energy-efficient equipment, getting a tax deduction of up to $20,000. Look, you know, if it helps save the planet, that's probably a better use of a tax deduction than what some businesses get. Uh, There's also a targeted program for low-income households and renters uh, to electrify their homes. So, again, create energy efficiency, insulate the household.
1: I love an intersectional policy response. It's good, isn't it,
0: right? Now, health, the other thing that, of course, Phil Lowe thinks is causing this. We're going to have interest rate increases because health costs are up. Well, there'll be a $2.2 billion package to fix primary health care services, take pressure off the hospital systems, and begin to reform Medicare. We know it's harder and harder to get uh, to see a doctor at all, let alone a bulk billing doctor, uh, and more and more people end up in emergency rooms, and that's not great for anyone. All right? There's going to be some money to fight vaping vans.
1: Yeah, there's going to be a vaping ban because it turns out vaping is incredibly dangerous and it's been used as a front for cigarette companies to recoup their market.
0: What's that? Tobacco companies <laughs> pretending they're good corporate citizens? and Tobacco
1: companies acting unethically? Say it ain't
0: so, Joe. Right? Right. And of course, there'll be changes to dispensing rules at pharmacies, which we know the pharmacy guild is up in arms about, up and up crying, crying
1: it- about bankruptcies that might possibly happen, <laughs> except haven't.
0: That's right. That rule is not due to come into place uh, until September. They're so. raising
1: the tax on tobacco products. Australia will have the most expensive cigarettes in the world. Now, look, I little- mean, we still, we already do, but they're going to be even more expensive. So if you don't want to be penalized for an addiction you can't control, Nigeria is apparently where (laughs) cigarettes are the cheapest. In fact, a cigarette costs one-fiftieth in Nigeria of what it does in Australia.
0: It would be interesting to see if there's suddenly a mass migration. I doubt it. Uh, Look, there will also be some improvements around aged care. You know, it's interesting. People talk about the NDIS and it's, you know, very expensive. We understand that. Aged care is similar. You've gone through this um, recently, right? There are similar issues in some parts of aged care with bad providers. It's the worst. This kind of, this idea that somehow or another uh, choice is so important that even if the choice ends up creating massive inefficiencies and massive costs and I don't want choice
1: I want expertise and when my mother was in decline and dying of cancer and I was her sole carer I desperately desperately needed coordinated support Laura I'm an you know very well educated person I'm I'm very lucky in that way that I accumulated a bunch of communications degrees yeah and i had literally no idea what was going on god help you if you know english is not your first language or you have like it was appalling and getting these menus of services from all these different providers constant phone calls the admin alone to keep track of it it is an absolute furphy it is a nonsense i like what we need is a quality expert centralized coordinated system that provides families with the support they need not a shopping list of options it's like i wasn't going to the mall trying to get like my nails done and a massage i was trying to care for my mother with dignity and respect in the final months of her life and i just want to say the current system made that far more difficult and i'm still obviously
0: very upset about it absolutely well look the current system is going to increase in cost by around five billion dollars one of the things I want to point out about that it's completely inefficient ridiculous and stressful and and that includes 1.9 billion dollars to increase the wages for aged care workers who had a a pay equal pay case recently that showed they were massively underpaid right so even despite that there's still another almost three billion billion on top of that that's going to go into the aged care system the system itself requires reform there's no question about that look taxes there's going to be changes in taxes it looks like the petroleum resource rent tax this is the tax on oil and gas projects some of the most profitable companies not just in australia but around the world and it just blows my mind that australia is the world's largest exporter of liquid natural gas and yet we recoup In the form of taxes from that, barely a fraction, barely a fraction of what Qatar gets for its liquid natural gas. Like this is, this is a wrought on such a massive scale that there has been some discussion of having, of importing liquid natural gas into Australia. We are the world's largest exporter, but for some reason, some people think it'll be cheaper to buy our gas on the global market and then import it back.
1: Do you know what I reckon?
0: Absolute madness.
1: Gas industry lobbyists. I reckon that's where we can probably <laughs> yeah. attribute this ridiculous policy environment. And remember how the Morrison government got all those gas industry lobbyists to we're sit on all the pandemic? We're
0: going to have a gas. Remember we're going to have a gas led recovery? Gas
1: lid recovery. I yeah. mean, that's literally what you need when the planet is burning down. More hot and yes, I, I acknowledge the fact that we have a gas-powered house. I'm more than happy to transition our heating. And like the more heating, the better. At this point, I am freezing cold.
0: Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a thing. Uh look there's going to be changes to housing as well, the first home buyer programs, you know, siblings and friends can band together and buy a house together. People who, you know, so f- for example, one of my mum's um used to own a house, hasn't owned a house for a long time. Once people who uh used to own a house, haven't owned a house for 10 years, uh, they'll now be able to access some of these first home buyer programs as well because there's a recognition that actually sometimes people fall on hard times or their circumstances change and they end up in the rental market again. And maybe if we help facilitate some of those people, they might help as well. Look, we know there's an issue with supply and housing and, of course, there's lots of work being done there. Ben and I love social housing with such fans. And, of course, it's interesting to remember that uh, in Tasmania, the... Uh, the new stadium that's going to be constructed uh, also includes the development of uh, housing units.
1: Yes, and they worked with First Nations groups and local communities and veterans, and they're looking at targeted housing for critical healthcare workers, which are extremely important in Tasmania. And it's amazing, Ben, that it took literally days for this to be mentioned at all on the internet. There was just a lot of rather outrageous... Uh, complaints mm. about the idea that a stadium was being built when it turns out, actually, that's a whole of precinct development and those plans and conversations have been going on for some time. Absolutely. People wouldn't be writing an agenda, would they?
0: Well, look, I wouldn't be surprised to learn that some of those people are members of the Greens or, you know, have – perhaps protest the development of social housing in the past you know i'm a bit sick of seeing the same people turn up with their signs literally saying not in my, my backyard
1: oh, i've it- got to say just just to be very clear anybody anybody who says public housing not social housing or it should only be public housing is a classist who fetishizes poor people and hates working-class
0: people. And because we know from study after study after study after study that mixed housing uh, developments are actually in the interests of all parties, you know, (sighs)
1: But I thought you ghettoised poor people out to suburbs that have no no services where no Greens live.
0: No, and you know what? You don't do that? No, you shouldn't do that. We shouldn't do that. But we've we've
1: been doing that, Ben. And we have
0: been doing that. We've been doing that through property prices. We've been doing that through restrictive development. We've been doing that by saying that in formerly working class areas that have become gentrified, we're going to get rid of social housing or we're going to get rid of mixed development housing or we're going to oppose those things. And that's what's happening right around the country. Hobart is a classic example where people are conflating issues in order to keep working people out of Central business district areas, economically gated communities. That's exactly. That's what
1: they are. They're economically created gated communities. And that green from Brisbane, who was like, "Oh, I'm the champion of public housing," and it turned out that he had personally protested building thirteen hundred housing units in his seat because he wanted a park instead. And it's like, do you know what would be really great? Extend a park.
0: You want to extend an existing
1: park. The NIMBY Prince. And I was just like, wow, that's really interesting because do you know where destruction of tree cover is occurring in Australia? I mean, let's talk about the environment. It's happening out in outer suburbs, satellite areas, towns, regional areas that are being flattened to put up Mass pub- like mass housing developments. And let's be very clear, these are not housing developments that come with any obligation around shops or services yeah. or healthcare. It costs four times as much for the government to provide services to people in these new suburbs, new satellite communities, like out where we are and you know on the, the way to day. Melbourne from us than it would. To develop housing stock, where there are public transport leaks, where there are hospitals, where there are schools, where there are existing services. And like I said, it's classist and it's disgusting.
0: Absolutely. Look, one of the one of the good things uh, that's been announced uh, for working people is that superannuation contributions will be paid on payday. It seems like a very detailed and nuanced thing, right? But most superannuation contributions are paid quarterly. Now, why does it make a difference to be paid on payday as opposed to quarterly? Because when your superannuation payments go in, they immediately start to earn compound interest. For someone aged 25, that might add up to $6,000 a year more. I've seen some estimates suggest that people will earn an additional interest as a result of this. This is just the additional interest as a result, $40,000 over the course of their working life. Now, That's almost the minimum wage. Basically, that's a year of the minimum wage uh, in additional retirement benefit as a result of a timing adjustment. And that's all it is. Now, we know that there'll be some people, some businesses that will scream blue murder about this. It's important to make sure that we make it a level playing field so that there aren't those dodgy sham contracting organisations that exist in the NDIS, that exist in the aged care, that exist in a whole range. Regulate them into the ground. Well, they exist in a whole range of sectors. And they're just ticket clippers. And what they're doing is they're making it more difficult for genuine employer to pay people what they're due. Now, this will be, I'm sure, controversial for some, but... Fundamentally, it's a good policy program. It's a good outcome for working people. Sad limit has praised it? Absolutely praised it because it's something unions have worked for and worked towards for a very, very long time. That's the workers' money and it should go into the workers' account. It shouldn't be used as cash flow for a company because we know fundamentally that when companies go broke, the first thing, the first thing that it turns out they haven't paid is the entitlements of the workers. The entitlements of the workers. Yeah, that's why you see workers protesting for their entitlements. Yeah. Absolutely. Speaking of worker news, Van, and worker protests, our good friends and comrades at the National Tertiary Education Union are in the middle of a week of action. Uh, and today uh, they held uh, protests in Victoria and walk-offs in Victoria. They had a big uh, rally at Victorian Trades Hall Fed Uni, the local university uh, of my hometown, Ballarat, uh, there was uh, an action there. The Better Workplaces, Better Universities uh, Week of Action is underway right around the country. There's actions. Check them out online. If you're not already a member of your union and you work in a university, you can join your union, obviously, directly through the NTU website or through australianunions.org.au. Solidarity with the protesters. And, of course, we know fundamentally mass casualization wage underpayments a really terrible corporatized atmosphere in universities the ivory towers are long gone
1: they are long gone and it's really important for people to understand you know that yes academia is a super middle class place i can't think sure. of even more middle class place than academia apart from possibly the media but what has been trialed at universities has, and they use this as cover, like corporatists, to uh, push mass casualization, to strip conditions, to divide and impress a workforce. That was modeled at universities and then exported
0: from them. Absolutely. You
1: know, like we are all in this together, and it's through sticking together, even with people who may have interesting social rituals around their class behavior that some of us from different backgrounds may still not yet understand. But these are our comrades and standing with them is in all of our interest.
0: you got a boss. You need a union. Speaking of bosses, Alan Joyce, CEO of Qantas, will retire in November. Now, this would normally be cause for celebration. The Transport Workers Union has said, look, let's not quite pop the champagne corks just yet. cause. The existing CFO—that's Chief Financial Officer—for those who don't speak uh, Econobabble—a woman by the name of Vanessa, uh, Vanessa Hudson, uh, to be precise—is going to be the CEO. And of course, Vanessa Hudson has been there throughout most of. Uh, Alan Joyce's term of office, and of course, has
1: learnt everything from Alan at the helm in yep. the deputy position. Uh, now, the chief lieutenant, well, the aide
0: de camp, the major domo. The chief financial officer is usually those things in most big corporations. Uh, so, look, uh, uh, Michael Kane uh, from the Transport Workers uh, Union has said that Alan Joyce will quote not be missed. Uh, and they hope for a reset. And look, Vanessa Hudson has said that she hopes to uh, rebuild relationships with the aviation unions. Didn't specify which ones or in which order or how she would go about that. We hope that she will. We all hope that she will. Michael Kane hopes that she will. Uh, and look again, if you're in aviation, uh, Make no mistake. you got a boss, join a union. Got a boss, join a union. People make a big deal about the fact that, uh, you know, Vanessa joins the, you know, 5% of airline bosses around the world that are women, and that's really great. That's great. But let's point out the fact that uh, the CEO of Virgin, who has also uh, been uh, worked for Qantas uh, under Joyce and has smashed workers, was CEO of Jetstar, has a terrible record on workers' rights. turns out you don't have to just be a man to be terrible to your workforce. Women can be terrible employers
1: too. You know, this was the cause of feminism was to destroy gender as a boundary to participation. Unfortunately, that means that, you know, it's the right to be awful.
0: Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Feminism
1: is the right to be awful.
0: (laughs) It's the right to be awful.
1: But it's also the right to be great.
0: Absolutely. And let's hope that Vanessa Hudson chooses to pick up the right to be great rather than the right to be awful. Come on, Vanessa, come on. Yeah. yeah. Come on. So australianunions.org.au wow. Wherever you are in the supply chain for an aviation provider, join a know, union join immediately. And do immediately. It, it now, quickly.
1: Chaos is a letter for some, but for others it can be a big pit.
0: That's right. You don't want to be in the pit. Speaking of the pits, the minimum wage is, of course, supposed to be the minimum uh Payment that people can be paid for working,
1: which I have earned for the mo- the majority of my working life. If I was lucky,
0: now we know, of course, that because of sham contracting, people are some people are paid less than the minimum wage. This is an outrage. Tony Burke and Anthony Albanese have promised to fix this, particularly in the gig economy. A we-
1: flank of horses, helmets. No. Now the ACT, not doing that? No, that's a disappointment.
0: No. So look, uh, the ACTU has said there should be a seven percent increase. The uh, major retailers, Coles, Woolworths, Kmart, and two really just like upstanding corporate citizens, sarcasm alert, in Harvey Norman and Amazon uh, have- have, have called for a three and a half percent increase, <laughs> saying that, well, inflation isn't going to be as bad as we thought it was. So we're decreasing. They actually have dropped. They are, they initially put in a submission saying it should be slightly higher than three and a half. They're now saying it should only be three and a half. I mean, these, these are people who are absolutely profiteering. There are fundamentally. No way. Harvey Norman, fundamentally.
1: Harvey Norman engaging in unethical behavior is surely not.
0: Now, the. Center for uh, Future Work and the Australian Institute, uh, basically saying, look, if you put up the lowest-paid workers' wages by seven percent, it's actually a solution to cost-of-living crisis. It doesn't drive inflation at all. There's no evidence to suggest the outrageous claims that. Uh, people like Jerry Harvey and Amazon make about job losses as a result. And quite frankly, there's this sort of, you know, in my mind, well, hang on one second, you've got a whole bunch of neoliberals saying we need to increase unemployment by raising interest rates, uh, but, you know, they don't want to increase unemployment by raising wages. One suspects it's really just they don't want to increase wages, right? No, they increase Fundamentally, they don't care if you're employed or not. They just don't want to increase wages. That's what it boils down to. Look, they've also made some really astoundingly – Right-wing comments, the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industry. No, say it ain't so. And the Business Council are opposing unions being involved with government and them, the employers, in a tripartite process to oversee a national labour hire licensing scheme. Van, you and I, we're big fans of tripartitism. We
1: love tripartitism. If
0: you can get people in a room.
1: Mm, We we think having all stakeholders in a conversation is generally a way to negotiate as positive an outcome, shared outcome for everyone. I mean,
0: woo! Apparently now. wild. no wonder they denounce us as communists. Well, apparently now they think that having unions in the room will lead to unions having a say in the room and they don't really want unions having a say in the room because it might influence the outcome. That's basically what they're saying. Yeah, but that's, yes, yes. Yeah.
1: We want unions to influence the outcome. Yeah, but they don't want that. No, they would rather increase industrial trouble and just try to suppress and yeah. you know condemn and demonize unions rather than come to a mutually beneficial like this is what I literally they literally
0: say it could influence ongoing bargaining disputes.
1: It could. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes, it could. It probably should. Yeah, they
0: go on to, to make some pretty outrageous and unfounded claims uh about how that would happen.
1: Everybody would suddenly grow a beard. Well, you know, I think cats and dogs no no the they together.
0: they basically they basically hint the the idea that unions are some sort of lawless group of you know outlaws who would use these forums in a in a illegal way quite aside from the fact the government is in the room i don't quite sure how they think that would work
1: yeah high on their own supply when you have consumed so much propaganda you believe it you cannot you cannot make sensible decisions any longer.
0: Yeah, and that's really what it boils down to. Really,
1: they be- that's what they believe. They've been watching those CIA movies from the <laughs> 1950s about communist infiltration of trade unions. It's
0: weird, right? Yeah, coming. Influence <laughs> ongoing bargaining disputes. That's sort of the point. The point is to reduce <gasps> yeah. the number of disputes, increase wages, mm. increase productivity. And maybe plan the economy. and, and maybe what do you reckon, plan the economy a bit? And maybe get rid of the shonks in labour hire. Like Victoria has a labour hire licensing scheme and it got rid of nearly 15 hundred shonky providers including some who i who i understand ticked the uh ticked the box to, that said i have attached the industrial instrument under which i employ people and then just didn't attach anything and when contacted didn't answer the phone like quite frankly that's you know the level of shonk that happens in that system but you know sure influencing ongoing bargaining disputes that would be a bad thing according to some of these people Minimum wage case will be determined as it usually is towards the end of this month or the start of June, ready for July 1. We will cover that more, of course, as we will cover the budget more next week. Ben, I'm going to go into the good news story while you bring up our list of supporters who continue to go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday and help us grow our audience. We've ticked over that 850000 Uh, Downloads, Mark. Tick, tick, tick. We've had a record number of downloads in the month of April, huge numbers. We love you guys. Seriously, we love you. uh, So, look, that's not the good news, although it is good news. The good news is actually about electric roads.
1: Oh, man, I love electric roads.
0: So in Sweden... They will have the first... That sounded really insincere, but I do actually really love electric roads. Well, in they're going to have in Sweden the first functioning charging road. So it's going to juice the batteries of heavy vehicles carrying freight around the nation. And uh, congratulations to the Good News Network where this story is from for using the term juice the batteries of heavy vehicles, because I just think that's a great term. So this is going to be the E-20 highway. E stands for Europe, not electric, because it's Sweden, so why would it stand for what you obviously think it is? Oi,
1: Um, you know I love the Swedes. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I I come down on the side of the Swedes, Ben's on the side of the Norwegians. It could all get very territorial very quickly. It could all
0: get very ninth century.
1: I spent a lot of time in Sweden, and I'm very thrilled that Malmö, which is basically the Wollongong of Sweden, is part of this electric um,
0: network. Along with Gothenburg and Stockholm. Gothenburg. 21 kilometres of road. Uh, Look, it's fundamentally uh, a a huge improvement, right, because what this is starting to demonstrate is that if you have this wireless charging technology, uh, you only need 25% of all roads in a network. Uh, to have it, to be electrified in this way, for the system to work uh, and that you're seeing even places like Indiana in America and Michigan mm. uh, start to roll out these programs, Germany, Israel, Italy, all implementing similar programs. In
1: fact, in Michigan it's being led by Gretchen Whitmer, who is the governor of Michigan, the one who the crazy rednecks tried to kidnap, yeah. who is just one of my favourite politicians, like an amazing communicator. And, of course, Michigan is the home of Detroit, yeah. which is, of course, you know, the somewhat decayed home of the American car industry, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's that kind of progressive industrial leadership. Fantastic. That Ben and I get really smiley about.
0: Absolutely. That is the good news. Van, our Cadre supporters chip in 20 bucks a month. We read out their names every episode. Our Extend the Reach supporters chip in 10 bucks a month read out their names too. If you're not a supporter, you can go to buymeacoffee.com slash week on Wednesday. We will get an email with links. Uh, Of course, the podcast will always be free to listen to, always free to download.
1: And, you know, if you want to flick us some money, that's great. If you want to just share our content on social media, maybe you're a member of a union, maybe you're a member of, you know, a Labor Party branch, why don't you recommend to your comrades that this is a conversation that they might find useful? I mean, that would be awesome. Maybe have a listening party.
0: But a huge congratulations to our supporters who've helped us reach so many hundreds of thousands of people in Australia and indeed around the world. Then our cadre are
1: Shane Horsfall, Rebecca Fanning for Longman, Matthew Hadley, Colin Kelly, Ali Vans, Mary M. Love your work, Yeti, Yeet Anthony Baldon, Claire, Jason Dallas, Camille, Akivir Burris, Kristen Sackler, Gabe Kramer, Stephen Aiken, Trish Corey, Greg Miller, Kathy Birch, Fiona McNeil, Giada, Jade Carney, Christine Cole, Tamara James, Punch Punchdrunk Veteran, Jenny Foster Seven, Andrew Pasco, Cassandra Tui, Addison Official, Ian Hampson, No Twitter for me, Anna Honda, Matt Bush, Richard Sands, Glenn Robbie, Brash Daniels, Kylie Phillips, Lyndon Cartwright, Leanne Shingles, Shingles. I don't have Twitter. My name is Susan Myers. Karen Ash20 Billy3 McCabe, Narissa Simon at Katagal, Lauren Ash and Banjo at Narunga Man, John Sharp and Peter Bath, Aaron Rollins, Louise Watson, Red White, and Blue Lou. Joe Lockery, Steph, Karina Barley at Jane C. Campbell and Leona Gibbons. And our Extend the reach supporters are Stuart Mann, Bla Goya, Matthew Case, Marky Mark at Vickham bit Adrian Valente, M- M- Mazritza at Carriedale68, Frank Nehus, Erica Pizzuti, Joe Lupino, Rachel Fitzpatrick, Kerry Arthur, Pauline Bate, Helen at Robert Notfield one Michael Wales, Sange Kelly, Dorena, Kathy Hay, Donald Vaughan, Damien Marley, Michelle Norton, Rodney Slap, Cameron Dry Dragon, Daniel at Crazy Keza, John DeHaan at Ange Fennel, Anna Uren. Ross Kenner, 888, Kathy Burgess, Kirsten Blake, Melanie Didding, Jodie A, Penelope Judge, Jane Holloway, Spirit of Anger and Hope, 8K not, at Dedham's, Sharon Kelly, Beck and of Richard Reverse, Someone, BDW, Nandita Hammond, Maury Louise Hawker, Megan Weckett, Graham Oxley Beck, Cody, Tracy Lucas, Sandy honan A Galvez, Greg Martin, Trainer, Amy Fawcett, not on Twitter, Sarah, Eliana, Andrew Ibis, Billet, Andrew Bryan, Peter O.C., Linda, Sam Hadid, Kip Patterson, Lizette, Whizzle, Bunkum Basher, and Katie Ward. And can I just say, Ben's somewhat inconsistent approach to capital I makes reading this just a challenge and a joy every
0: week. Well, I have to say that when you as the supporter put in your name, that is what will get read out. <laughs> so, you know, you'll notice in there some interesting names, including Rebecca Fanning for Longman. And kudos to Rebecca Fanning for Longman for taking advantage of the way the naming system works. And of course, others have done like likewise. Uh, Can is? we
1: just say we love you all? <laughs> and we your support just means everything to us. I mean, Ben and I joke that we started this during lockdown. It was either that, bake sourdough, or get divorced, because that's what our friends did. And I think the podcast was the sensible and more productive choice. Absolutely. And... um And we thought, oh, you know, like maybe a few of our friends will listen. And the idea that we have this amazing engaged support base of people who talk to us and send us, you know, messages and good stories and ask us to raise issues. It's just awesome. And we really appreciate your community.
0: Absolutely. Now, that's the week on Wednesday for this week. Of course, next week, we'll be talking about the budget in more detail because it will have been released. Until then, we will have the weekend wrap on Sunday, uh, so you can tune in to listen to that. It's about half an hour and it'll be good fun. We'll do that. It'll be awesome. Uh, Until then, love you, Vanny.
1: Love you. Bye. Bye.